growing age. Um, so when I first started going to Kentucky, it was like a couple of days. It takes a bit longer now. Um, another day. So I feel like I've not really been with it this week. Um, it might be due to the sugar as well, because everything in America is coated in sugar. And it's wonderful. Everything is artificially flavoured, and it's the most wonderful thing. But when you come back, you feel like you're on a sugar come down. I feel like I'm a mess. So this week's been a little bit difficult uh, in trying to prepare something, because I feel like I'm not here and I need some more sugar. Um, but I've heard that Phil preached a couple of blinders, and I'm glad to see you can keep the show on the road when I'm not around. It's good to know that uh, you know, uh, we can trust him when I'm away. That's, that's important. Um, I'm getting all the comedy out of the way here because um, I've got to preach one that's quite serious and, and it scares me. I've got to admit, I prefer it when Phil preaches these ones because I like to have a bit of banter and when you're looking at me and you know, there's no kind of reaction, sometimes it makes me nervous. Um, so just bear with me today. I need your grace this morning. Um, let me tell you what one of my least favourite times of the year is. It happens around May and June and I call it car month. I don't know if any of you know what that means. It's, it's the month where you have to renew your tax, uh, you renew your insurance, and uh, you have to put your car in for an MOT. It's, it hammers the wallet and you have absolutely nothing to show for it. And it just feels like it's the most pointless time of the year. Um, I, I just don't like it. But you have to put your car in for an MOT. Because you need to know that you're safe to be on the road. And the whole point of the MOT isn't to improve anything, it's to check that your car is in good condition so you can carry on safely on your journeys. In the Christian life, sometimes we need some MOTs. Sometimes we need to stop and take check of some stuff to make sure that we're driving safely, that we can go on the journey. And, and it's important that we do that. And so this morning, what I want to do is look at something you, you've heard many times before. It's nothing new. But I want us to have an MOT this morning. I want us to talk about dealing with unforgiveness. I see a couple of people smiling and laughing. Um, let me tell you, I can't think of anything more detrimental or damaging to the Christian life than unforgiveness. And we might think it's something major that's happened in our lives that can cause us to be that way, but it also can come in very subtly under the radar. And it can creep up on us. So this morning I want to check where we are. I want to check that we're okay to continue our journey. And this morning you're going to be in one of three places. This is what I assume. Firstly, you might have unforgiveness in your heart. If you do have unforgiveness in your heart, my desire is today that you're going to get free of that. Secondly, you may be in a place where you're not sure if you have unforgiveness in your heart. If that's the case, I want to probe a little and check. And if you do have it there, we want to deal with it. The third place is you say, you know what, I'm, I know I'm completely free of unforgiveness. I don't hold anything against anyone. And that's okay too. You know, if you read the Bible, it's both prescriptive and preventative. It gives you an answer to problems so you can get out of them, but it also stops you getting into stuff. It's there to warn you and say, don't go there, be careful. It's prescriptive and preventative. And if you get that out of this this morning, that's fine by me too. I want to look at what unforgiveness is, why we allow it in our lives, why we need to forgive objectively and subjectively, and how we do it. It's about five points, about six minutes a point. Um, so if you work that out, we'll be here for around about 40 minutes. Is that okay? 
Let's start then. The first question is, what is unforgiveness? What is it? I, I come across this, and it probably sums it up best. It's feeling resentful, wishing to punish, or keeping a person in debt for an offence against you or a flaw in their character. Let me say that again. It's feeling resentful, wishing to punish, or keeping a person in debt for an offence against you or a flaw in someone's character. (coughs) How does unforgiveness come in? The way unforgiveness comes in is through offence that usually starts off with a rejection. Rejection causes offence, which causes unforgiveness. We're all breathing here, so I'm going to assume all of us at some point in our lives have been rejected. And if that's the case, at some point in our lives, we've held offence. And the possibility is if we've done that, we've had unforgiveness in our hearts. Things can come in that are major. You can experience major rejections that cause unforgiveness. You hear stories of abuse, children that are physically abused. There's domestic abuse, emotional abuse. Maybe you've been manipulated or controlled. There's verbal abuse. Have you ever been talked down to? Have you ever been slandered by anybody? Have you ever been bullied at school or at work? Been in an awful relationship? Have you experienced abandonment from parents, from friends or a spouse? Experienced embarrassment? Someone you loved and trusted caused you to look Stupid. These are all major rejections in life that can cause you to hold an offence in your heart, which leads to unforgiveness. But as well as these big things, there are a lot of subtle things, a lot of small things that come in daily, almost under the radar. You can't even see, you've got to be quick to check them, otherwise, you can miss them. You can be offended by favouritism. Someone showing preference to another person over you. Maybe someone asks someone else's opinion instead of yours. Perhaps someone has spoken to you rudely, come across as rude, shown you disregard. Maybe they haven't taken your opinion into consideration, taken on other ideas instead of yours. It might be the actions of someone not even directly related to you, the attitude of a colleague towards work. If you think they're lazy, they don't put the effort in, you can be resentful towards them. It might be even something in someone's personality. You go, I just don't like them. But that can lead you down a road into resentment, into offence, into unforgiveness. You've got to watch the small things because they can happen every day. The major things can be one-offs, but the small things happen day by day. I went to pick up Amanda from the airport the other day. And it's fun, you know, when you're waiting in... Uh, and the arrivals and all the people were coming through and everyone's happy when they're greeting their, their family and friends. And anyway, this, this lady came out with a trolley, British, and uh, this other lady came out, I don't know where she was from, and, and the British lady accidentally just uh, hit her in the back of the foot with the trolley. And very British response, it was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And that lady turned around and she goes, that was my foot. <laughs> and, and the British lady said, I said I'm sorry. And, and they both went off. They both went off. Do you know, they both had a grudge in their heart from that moment. It was a very little thing. But they're never going to see each other again. So that's okay. You can say, well, they can get on and deal with that. But how much of our unforgiveness starts with something like that? 
Just something small. And you can go so far down the line, you can't even remember why you first resented them. Something small. We've got to watch the small things. These definitions of unforgiveness, feeling resentful, wishing to punish or to keep in debt. Uh, let me just do a little probing and see if you've got unforgiveness in your heart. Feelings of resentment. It's when you see or think of someone and you have a feeling of rage or anger bubble up inside of you. Does that happen? An offence is brought to your mind. A bitterness towards a person. If you do, chances are you've got unforgiveness in your heart. Do you wish punishment on someone? That they need to get what they deserve? Wishing bad of someone. Do you play out scenes in your head where someone comes off worse than you? Where you look good and they look bad, where you look right and they look wrong. If that's happening with a particular person, you might have unforgiveness in your heart. Do you keep someone in debt? Making someone feeling, sorry, feel guilty for something they have done. Is it something that's brought up from a long time ago? You almost hold it over them like you own them. And you've never let it go. If you do, you've got unforgiveness in your heart. There's power in having something to hold over someone's head. It's just a little bit of probing and maybe something there has come to light. If it is, don't, don't feel condemned. Recognising it is step one to getting free of it. <laughs> I just want to check in something here though because... As Christians, we know that we shouldn't hold unforgiveness in our hearts. We know we should walk in forgiveness. But I was just thinking, what are the reasons why we would allow it in? Why would we let it come and why would we let it stay? I'll give you three reasons. First of all, we can feel justified in holding an offence. No one wants to be offended. If we're made in God's image, we have this desire in us to be loved, to be treated right, to be treated fairly. And so when someone offends us, something inside it goes, hey, this is not quite right. You shouldn't be treating me like this. You should be treating me right because I'm made in God's image. There's something inside me that says, you are offending me. And so I'm justified in holding this offense against you. That's the first reason. Second is self-preservation. To hold unforgiveness means I'm not letting this go. I'm protecting myself from any future pain. I read a blog from this uh, when I was researching this. I, was read, I read a blog by this lady and she said, I don't believe in forgiveness. And in this blog, do you know what I saw? She was angry. She was hurt. She was bitter. But she was saying, you know what? I'm blocking myself from any more pain. Self-preservation. Not letting it go because if I do, I make myself vulnerable again. Third reason is a sense of identity. Holding on to another's sin or weakness and failure makes us feel superior to them. It allows us to believe maybe that we're more righteous or mature than another person. And if they uh, do something that offends us, we can always have that in our minds or we can bring it up the time when they failed. It gives us a sense of identity, a self, uh, sorry, a sense of of self-righteousness. That may be why 
you hold unforgiveness in your heart. So we've just identified just very briefly what it is and how it comes and why we might give it place in our lives. Uh, And at this juncture, I I don't want to justify unforgiveness. So I need to give you some objective reasons why we have to forgive. Your whole Christian life is based on forgiveness. Your whole Christian life is based on forgiveness. The, The most simple and maybe the one you will know is that We forgive. Why? Because of Christ forgave us. We forgive because we have been completely forgiven. And what we have received, we need to give away. In Christ, there are so many scriptures about our forgiveness. I'm going to just reference some because I haven't given you any verses yet. I don't want to make you nervous. So I'm going to give you some verses just so you can look them up and know that this is true. Okay? Ephesians 1.7. Hebrews 10.17. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Psalm 103, verse 12. Matthew 26, 28. And there's a ton more. What we have received is greater than any debt we could be owed. Any debt we could be owed. You know the story of the unforgiving servant, right? And he, he goes to the king and he, he can't pay. And, and the king says, I'm, I'm going to chuck you in a prison. And he says, oh, I can't pay. And the king shows him mercy, a hundred million pound debt or whatever it is. And he goes off, this is my paraphrase, he goes off and finds someone who owes him a tenner. And he goes off and he, and he hammers him into the ground. We can never take our eyes off the price that's been paid. Do you know, every debt that we have, whether it's major or minor, is all a tenner in compared to what Jesus has done for us. Uh, yesterday in West Ealing, I was driving... And I was turning right onto the Argyle Road. Never much fun, this, this uh, junction. And I come up and I'm waiting for the cars to start moving because I wanted to turn right. Uh, and they're all stopped. And there was a car about three or four behind me tooting for me to go. And I'm thinking, I can't. I'll block the traffic coming this way. I can't move out. So I'm sitting there. Anyway, this car pulls up next to me, around all the other traffic, next to me. And he starts saying stuff to me. And I'm thinking, you owe me a tenner. Because, because I am now, like, you have, you have offended me and you owe me a tenner. And do you know what I had to do? I had to be very quick to keep my eyes on the 10 million. Because by keeping my eyes on the 10 million, I can let the tenner go. But we have to do that every day with the little things and the big things. We forgive because we are forgiven. It's what we've received personally. There's no charge to our account. Your sin is completely forgiven. Do you know it? Do you know it? Second reason, it's a value of the kingdom. In Colossians 1, 13 and 14, he says he's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. It, it's a value in the kingdom. You need to understand kingdom values because if you're going to enjoy the, the best possible experience of the kingdom, you need to know how to walk in it how it operates, and how to get the best out of it. When uh, Amanda had to apply for a visa for, to indefinitely to remain, she had to do a test. And it was the life in the UK test. And she gets this book, and it gives her all the values. And it's like, it talks about how much we love tea. And it talks about how you've got to keep your garden nice because of, you know, to respect your neighbours. Otherwise, your neighbours will, will kill you if you don't keep your garden in good condition. But she needed to know her values of, of, the, of this place. So when she comes here she can have the best possible experience. Forgiveness is a value in the kingdom of God. And if we want the best possible experience of the kingdom, we need to walk in forgiveness. It's the message that we have to the world. 
In 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, it says that we have a message of reconciliation, the forgiveness of sins. We have to live the message that we take to the world. Do you know how hypocritical it is if we say, God loves you, God forgives you, he's for you, but I don't forgive him. Or I don't forgive her. We've literally got to practice what we preach. We forgive because we are forgiven. We're in a kingdom of forgiveness with a message to the world of forgiveness. Let me look at some subjective reasons here why we need to forgive. If you come to Matthew 6, uh, verse 14 and 15, it's at the uh, end of what we call the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer. What do you call it? Lord's Prayer. Call it the Disciples' Prayer. (laughs) Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Listen to what it says. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is a serious warning. It's a serious scripture. It came up in the Lord's Prayer just before and Jesus says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And he's emphasizing it. He's bringing, it's the only thing he emphasizes out of that Lord's Prayer is this matter of forgiveness. What does it mean that God will not forgive you if you don't forgive others? I think sometimes when we read verses like this, and this is just a side note, we get confused. I remember there was some girls at school and they would get flowers and if they liked a boy they would say, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. And whatever they ended up on, that's how that person was towards them. And I think we can sometimes do that with the Bible when we say, oh, he loves me unconditionally, which is what I just told you, you're unconditionally forgiven of your sins, you're completely free in Christ. And now I'm telling you, well, it's conditional. Because the Father says, if you don't forgive, I'm not going to forgive you. What does it mean? The love of God for you is 100% unconditional. You are completely saved by grace. There is nothing you can do to add that. There's nothing you can do to take that away. That is done on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. This is not talking about salvation. I'll tell you what I think this means. For God to not forgive you of your sins means that God does nothing. I believe for God to not forgive you of your sins is that God will do nothing. Now, I probably need to give you some reasons why I think that. You don't have to agree with me. If I hold unforgiveness towards somebody else, I don't do anything positive towards them. I don't bless them. I don't reconcile with them. I don't talk with them. I just leave them where they are. They don't experience my forgiveness. This verse is not talking about your position. This is talking about your daily experience of forgiveness with God. 
what you walk out in your life with him. We're meant to experience his forgiveness and grace personally, daily, as well as positionally. And when we're forgiven of others, we experience his forgiveness and love towards us in a real, personal, tangible way. I'll give you an example of this. Um, I flew on US Airways to Kentucky. Uh, don't ever fly with them. They're terrible, just so you know. Um, I hope they forgive me for slandering them. That's like a little bit bad. Uh, but we flew out there. We were late getting in. And so we arrived into North Carolina where we were going to connect for our flight down to Kentucky. But we arrived in late. Anyway, most of the people on this plane that were getting connections, everyone was freaking out. Everybody was angry. Everybody was upset. And we all marched to US Airways customer service because that's what you do. And we went up and there were some Texans and they were using some choice language. And they went, they went, to, the, they went to the counter and they said, US Airways, what's for dinner? U.S. Airways, where are we staying? And they were like, you're not getting anything. This wasn't our fault. It was, a customs, it was a customs fault. So I went to the desk and I said, I know this isn't your fault. But we're here in Charlotte. You just tell me what, I can, what we can do. And she said, look, you know, it's not our fault that, <coughs> that you're here and you've not got your connection. But my heart won't let you stay at Charlotte Airport tonight. So I'm going to put you in a hotel. When you go with a forgiving attitude, you experience a real tangible forgiveness. When you go and just say, unforgiveness, this is what I demand, this is what's right, unforgiveness in your heart, resentment, do you know what you get? Nothing. Just get nothing. In, in our forgiving, we experience grace. In unforgiveness, we just experience nothing. Some other reasons, some subjective reasons here. If we don't forgive, we become an easy target for the enemy. You know the, the devil goes around, that, that scripture, right? He's like a roaring lion looking at who he may devour. He only, he only devours you if, you if you're isolated. And one way you get isolated is if you're living in unforgiveness. I gave you that passage from uh, Matthew 18 about the unforgiving debtor. And it, and it talks about the tormentors being able to take you into captivity imprisonment. God can't do anything because the enemy has legal right over you the moment you walk in unforgiveness. It's a place where he has a foot in the door. Paul says, doesn't he, don't let the enemy have a foot in the door. If you have a debt, you know the bailiffs can come round and the moment they have a foot in the door, they have entry into the house. And it's the same with the devil. If we give him a foot in the door, he has entry into us. So we can't do that. We've got to be careful of unforgiveness. I don't know how many forgiveness prayers we've handed out in the healing rooms. See, does, the, the psychiatrists and doctors are saying that um, unforgiveness is related to sickness. And, and of course, that isn't across the board. Of course, it isn't every time. But I see it. I see how if you're unforgiving, somehow it can have an effect on you physically as well as emotionally. We don't give the enemy a foothold. Another subjective reason is if we don't forgive, it's only us that will suffer. Mm. I heard this said, unforgiveness is drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. 
Unforgiveness is drinking poison and expecting someone else to come off worse. Um, when we were away, two nephews, um, they were playing in the water. And one of the nephews pushed the other one under the water. He was not happy when he came up. And he came up and he said, I hate you, I'm going to kill you. And all these things he was saying. And they come out and, and the, other, the other kid who did it, he went off running around. And he's, the other one sat there like this. And I'm like, come on, buddy. It was just something. It shouldn't have happened, but it's happened. Now you can just get on with your life. But no, he was sat there sulking, unforgiving, and wouldn't move. But the other guy got on with his life. See, unforgiveness only has an impact on you, not on the person who caused you offence. Only ever has an impact on us. Say like, but you don't know what's been happening. Sorry, you don't know what's happened to me. You don't know what what offence has been uh, poured out in my life. You don't know what people have done to me. Here's some weird things like if we don't forgive that God won't speak to us. And I don't believe that happens. I believe if we don't forgive, God talks to us more because he doesn't want us in unforgiveness. It's, if you read the prodigal son, you know the older brother, he's the one who, who stays out in the field when the younger brother comes home. He's the one who has a grudge and won't go back into the house. And what happens? The father comes out to him the same way he went out to the returning sinner because he wants his son to come back in. God will always speak to you, even if you're in unforgiveness. He will never turn away from you because he wants to comfort you. He wants to heal the hurt, but you have to release the person if you're going to walk in freedom. I just couple of little things here. Forgiving isn't necessarily forgetting, but it is remembering without bitterness. It might take a long time. It's okay. It, it can be a process. Was it Jesus says to Peter, you have to, uh, was it forgive seven times? Or seven times seven? Something like that? Or seven times? Seven times 70? That's even more. But we keep on doing it. We go through the process. We go through the process until we're free. Forgiving isn't saying the other person's right. The reason that God wants you to forgive is so you're free. And doesn't the Bible say vengeance is the Lord's? We leave it to him. And you've got to be careful of that because the Bible also tells you to bless your enemies. So don't be surprised if you bless them, they're blessed. And it doesn't always mean reconciliation. You know, sometimes it's dangerous to go back into situations you're in before. But if you can reconcile, do it. And it doesn't mean trust. Forgiveness is something we choose. Trust is something that has to be gained. There is enough reason that why we should forgive. I heard it said that unforgiveness is just basically a luxury that none of us can afford. Let me finish with this, and, and it's how we are able to forgive. You are not relying on your own power or strength to forgive anybody. You know, I, when I was doing this, I came across a Buddhist website. And the Buddhist website was talking about forgiveness. And it brings up all these articles. And it says, you know what, you just got to, uh, it's the right thing to do. It says a lot of things like we would say. But it says you've got to come up with the willpower to, forget, to forgive. But we do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Christ, who had the right to hold unforgiveness, he experienced the most rejection, could have been bitter towards the world, his disciples, his family, hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. This same Christ lives in you. He lives in you. You don't do it by willpower, but by his power.
I'm going to finish with this one story, and it's um, Corrie Ten Boom. You know her, the amazing woman who, in the Second World War, she um, hid uh, Jews in her house when the Nazis were in Holland. This is what she says. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him. A balding, heavy-set man in a grey overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filling out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I'd come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth that they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favourite mental picture, maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind. I like to think that that's where forgiveness of sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence. In silence, collected their wraps. In silence, left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dress dresses and shoes in the centre of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take the hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him, and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, the hand come out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had again and again uh, to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? For I had to do it. Sorry. Sorry, I missed a bit. It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew it. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will I, your Father in heaven, forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. 
But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You have to do the rest. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands. The former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. When we forgive whether it be for a major or minor offence, we will experience the love and grace of God in our lives. We will be released from bondage and will be healed from pain. I hope you choose forgiveness. God bless you guys.